Okay, uh, so today I'm going to talk about the five reflections that's found in early Buddhism. And I think it's appropriate uh, because the world seems to be a different place. So we need to stay focused on what it means to be us and, and how we exist in the world. So as I'm going over the five reflections, I notice that three of them probably came from the Buddha's first talk, the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta. And, and in it he said uh, that he and his charioteer Chana uh, went out into the streets of the city and they saw uh, four things that forever changed Siddhartha's mind. And the first thing they saw was this really old guy. And each year I can relate to that more and more. Um, it's, it's sort of shocking when you look at a young person and then you look at an old person and, and how much difference there is. And, and also how the priorities change as well as we get old. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and he was saying that he's cutting back on his employment. He's, he was working six days a week, now he's going to work three days a week. Um, he's, he's in his uh, early 60s and he said that as he got older, he realized that time was more valuable than money. And I thought that that's really a deep insight as we get older. Um, so, so Siddhartha saw the old person and said, what's wrong with him? And Chana said, well, nothing is wrong other than the fact that he's old. And everybody that's born and lives long enough will get old. So they continued through the streets of the city and then they saw this really sick guy. And Siddhartha said to Chana, is he old? And Chana said, no, it's different with him. He's sick. And everyone that is born and lives a life will eventually, sooner or later, probably sooner, they will get sick. And, you know, we have uh, health care, we have Medicare, we have all these things put into place because it is a fact that we will ultimately get sick. Now, here we find ourselves in like the second year of the pandemic. I think it's the second year. It seems to be lasting forever. And, and now we come to places in our life where we talk to people who say, well, I'm not going to get sick. I have a strong immune system. And as a Buddhist, we would say, but you know what? Everybody gets sick. And it's hard to predict when or how severe, but it's part of being a human being. So as I listen to all the interviews of people who aren't going to get sick and the people that have been sick and the people that will get sick, it just reaffirms my suspicion that historical Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, was like right on. He understood how this whole thing worked and this wonderful story of going through the streets of the city with his, with his charioteer is, is, is really a sort of a, a pleasant way uh, 
uh, facing these realities of our life. Now, the, the third person Siddhartha saw was this dead guy. And he said to Chana in the story, Chana, he's really sick. What does he have? And Chana said, no, he's more than sick. He's dead. And everyone that's born has to die. And when I first read this story and did some reflection on it, I thought, how unfair is this that we have all spent forever trying to be born? And for some reason, whether it be good luck, bad luck, fate, rebirth, reincarnation, karma, whatever you want to call it, we made it. And this is like the one planet, you know, in our solar system that today can support life. The feeling I have about Mars is it probably did support life at one time, but they screwed up just like sort of we're screwing up. So we may be the next Mars and somebody from another solar system will say, let's send some robots out there and explore planet Earth because we suspect at one time, there was life. <laughs> so we have life, we have existence, and we have death. And one of my favorite YouTube channels is uh, Hollywood Graveyards. And it's not just graveyards in Hollywood, but graveyards in general. And the guy goes out and he finds some of these graves, mostly um, famous people or celebrities, and then he'll do a little backstory on them. And you'll listen and, and be amazed at how much these people did, you know, or how much money they made or how famous they became. And, and then they died. And there's like this rock in the ground with etchings on it usually when they were born and when they died and who they were. Sometimes it was like a little picture. Sometimes, you, you know, it's a big, sometimes it's small. And I thought to myself, after watching a few episodes of this, isn't this just fascinating that they're only here for a few years, 50, 60, 70, and then they're dead forever. <laughs> and we have this like little, we, we have this like tombstone that sort of reminds us that they were once here and they did a lot of stuff and now they're not doing anything. And I, as I reflect on this, I think to myself, well, you know, this is the time to do stuff because we're still walking and talking. And whether you're 20 or 50 or 80, you probably still have a few things you want to do or a few things you could do before you can't do anything at all. So we shouldn't be surprised about death, but we should be surprised about the complacency about death. Death should be our co-pilot, often said in Buddhism. And because death can be our co-pilot, it invigorates us. It sort of wakes us up every morning saying, you know, I woke up, I'm here again. What am I going to do? And, and how am I going to do it? And, and if we become complacent or, or lethargic about life or, or figure it's not worth living, 
just watch an episode of Hollywood Graveyard and you'll say to yourself, wow, look at all these really important or successful or famous people and look what they did and look at the fact that they can't do anything ever again unless you're a Buddhist because we have rebirth. So it's just a pause for us, this death thing, until we're being reborn again. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if we knew what our next rebirth would be and who we would be and where would we would be living? Because we could save all our money for that person. And they could come into the world with money and future and hope. But you know what? We don't know who we're going to be or what we're going to be or what realm of existence we're going to be reborn in. So let's all be busy in this lifetime. And I think that's what the Buddha saw too, because on the way back to the, to the palace, he saw this yogi, this mendicant, this person all dressed in white. And he said to Chana, why is he dressed in white? And Chana said, because he's a, a mendicant, he's a yogi, and he's trying to figure out the meaning of life, and he's invested all his time in that. So he has renounced the world. And, and I think that might have planted the seed in Siddhartha that maybe a good way to live a life would be to be a monk, to be a renunciate, to be a mendicant, to look inside rather than outside. So the first three remembrances we want to ultimately memorize, but at least think of occasionally, is we're going to get old if we're not already there, we're going to get sick if we're not already there, and we're going to die, and we don't know when, and we don't know how. And everybody dies in their own unique way because they have their own unique karma. Now, the fourth remembrance is so applicable to what's going on today. And the fourth one is, everything I love, cherish, and want to hold on to will be taken away. And the culprit is impermanence and change. Now, as I walk around L.A., I'm noticing how many places are closed and how few places are reopening. That, that this pandemic has really caught us by surprise. And um, the business people, the small mom-and-pop stores, oftentimes didn't have enough money to, to, to make a go of it to sort of wait until everything turns around. And we're still waiting for everything to turn around, uh, though more and more places are open. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, all the places I really like to go to, a lot of them are closed and I'll never get to go to them again. A lot of the way things used to be have forever changed and will never be the same again. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or picked up on it, but Back in the old days, back in the 80s, <laughs> which doesn't seem that long ago to me, man, every corner had a shoe store. 
We had Kenny's shoes, we had Baker's shoes, we had Tom McCann's, we had Florsheim, and the list goes on and on and on. And, and now you go to Amazon, or maybe you go to a department store. But all these, all these places are closed. Walgreens, J.J. Newberry's, places like that, 5 and 10, they're gone too. And they'll probably never come back because Amazon has just got a lock on it, man. They just got a lock on it. So I did some research and on Kenny's shoes. Because Kenny's shoes had been around for a really long time. And they were bought out by Foot Locker. And they closed all the Kenny's shoe stores and made them Foot Lockers. And a lot of them are still going, but a lot of them aren't going any longer. And, and that's sort of the way the world works. We can't get too relaxed or comfortable in our everyday life because it's always changing. We can't be too attached to stuff in our everyday life because it's always changing. It's, it's never the same day twice. Now, yesterday, we lost an hour. We had to fall back. I tell you what, I like that. I didn't think I would. But I like that because I feed the cats every day at 6 o'clock in the morning. So yesterday when I fed the cats at 6 o'clock in the morning, it was dark as dark. Today when I fed the cats at 6 o'clock, the sun was just starting to come up. And the, and, the, and the sky was sort of glowing, getting ready for the sunrise. And I could actually see where all the cat poop was so I could pick it up rather than step in it. And the cats didn't seem to mind too much being fed an hour later. But it, can you imagine how many things changed from yesterday and today in just that one hour that we look at the world in a completely different way? And now I'm expecting it to get dark like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So, but I'm old now, so I can have dinner at 3.30 and be completely satisfied with the day. But the young people, they might want to eat a little bit later in the day. So change. Having things taken away. They, uh, old age takes away our youth. Death takes away our life. Sickness takes away our health. And everything, every day, is always in a state of flux. Constant change. It's like the flow. And Siddhartha, the book, Siddhartha always had that... the. The flow and the river, and you can't put your foot in the same river twice, and the same foot can't go in the same river twice because we're always changing. And it didn't mean much to me until I started to reflect on Buddhism and the idea that anything I hold on to is just a temporary attachment, that I don't care what it is. For instance, I've had the same internet for 10 years maybe even longer. I didn't even think about it. I just sent the money in each year and I got internet. Then they said, we lost our vendor. We can't give you internet any longer. We're going to end your internet the end of October. And I thought to myself, wow, well, this shouldn't be too bad. I live in Los Angeles and Los Angeles must have 20 or 30 internet service providers, so I'm just going to go online and see what I can find. 
I found that we have a choice of two in this particular zip code. We don't have 20 or 30. We've got millions of people living in Los Angeles, and I only get to pick between two internet service providers. So I went with DSL rather than cable because I'm sort of used to DSL. And I have a landline. I just always figured I'd, I'd, I'd keep the landline because it could be useful. And people kept saying to me, you know, when the big earthquake happens, none of those cell phones are going to work, but you'll have a landline. So you can still call people. And I'm thinking, well, when the big earthquake hits, who the hell am I going to call? Because <laughs> everybody's cell phones are not working. So getting used to change, getting used to dramatic change or even minor change tests us. It, it tests us because how attached are you to the way things are? Do you have enough confidence to be able to meet the challenges of change and, and succeed in continuing your day, your week, your month, your year? Are you going to be intimidated when stuff isn't like it used to be, or you're not like you used to be, or people aren't like they used to be? Is that going to really bother you? Or are you just going to go with the flow? And the flow is all we really have to work with. And if we can go with the flow, we'll suffer so much less and we'll be involved in the process of being alive on a planet that's ever-changing. Okay, the fifth one. The fifth one is really important because the fifth one will determine our next lifetime, will determine this lifetime. And it goes like this. Everything I think, say, and do, I am the owner. It belongs to me. It's karma. And karma never forgets your zip code. So you're going to be responsible for all the things you thought, said, and did your whole life. Some may forget. Some may forgive. But karma won't. And there's no way we can petition karma to give us a break or show mercy. Karma doesn't care. Karma is like the law. And the law could be like gravity. I don't care how much you ask gravity not to make you fall. Gravity can't hear you. And if it could hear you, it doesn't care. Because it is a law of nature. And I think karma is also a law of nature, too. Now, the trick is, as you start getting older and realize how interconnected and interdependent you are with all things, your primary goal as you enter old age is to forever be kind. Forever be kind, because you're acquiring merit through your kindness. And the secret in acquiring merit through your kindness is not to expect anything in return. And if you don't expect anything in return, you even get more merit, not less merit. So can you do good stuff? Can you say good things? Can you think good thoughts, not expecting anything in return?
And, and that's a practice. The Dalai Lama is reported to have said, uh, I have a simple religion, it's the religion of kindness. And I thought to myself, man, that is just like putting it right on the table. It's just so evident after listening to him speak that, yeah, kindness really is our path in life as a Buddhist. But it can be challenging. It's hard to be kind all the time. It needs to be a lifestyle. It needs to be a habit. It needs to be simply the way you live in life and, and not have to think about every time you say something or do something or think something, wondering if it's a kind thought, kind speech, kind action. Now, the loving-kindness meditation is a way of uploading the intention to be kind. The intention to be kind. And, and all our speech, action, and, and thoughts are created by intention. So what is your intention? And I have separated compassion from loving-kindness or from kindness, that kindness is the attitude and compassion is the activity. So can we raise the attitude of kindness and manifest it in the activity of compassion? Now the deal is, it's kind and it's compassionate if it reduces suffering. If it increases suffering, it, 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 it doesn't meet those requirements. So how can we reduce suffering? Well, for me, Every morning at 6 o'clock, I'm reducing cat suffering because they're all hungry and they can just hardly wait for me to appear out of the zendo and they're just all lined up and they're so happy that I'm there. But I know why they're happy I'm there because I'm going to feed them and they're going to feel a lot better after they get some food. And so that's how I start my day. I start my day not thinking I'm going to be kind but simply doing something that reduces suffering in the world. Okay. And then I feed the bird feeder because I know after the sun comes up, we're going to have the little birds, the sparrows come, and they're going to be hungry too. And then I fill up the fish pond, add a little bit of water, the water that had evaporated over the past day, and then I'll give them a little fish food. And that's how I start my day. How... Lucky am I to be able to generate merit and good karma by simply walking out the back door at 6 o'clock in the morning. Now I've got the rest of the day to deal with. Am I going to be kind on the freeway? Am I going to let people get in front of me? Am I going to cut people off? I have to go to the grocery store. Am I going to be kind to the checker? Am I going to be kind to the other shoppers? Am I going to respect the six-foot distance? Am I going to wear my mask? Not because, not because I, it's mandated, but of course it is in Los Angeles, but because wearing a mask might prevent other people from getting sick and suffering. Okay, cool. So if you feel that it's not going to help you, you might want to rethink and say, I wonder if this will help others, me wearing this mask. So I'm going to wear it for them. Okay, kindness, compassionate activity. Now, we get back to the center. We have some people are happy, some people are unhappy, some people are neutral. 
Can you be kind? And if you can't be kind, can you just simply not say anything and let them go through all their stuff but not adding to their stuff? If they won't let you subtract the stuff, don't add to it. Okay. And then before you go to sleep at night, can you have some kind thoughts? I always figure if I have kind thoughts before I go to sleep, I'm going to be sleeping better and longer and deeper because I have kind thoughts. But let me warn you, as you get older, it's going to be harder and harder to resurrect good, kind thoughts. Because what I have come to understand, being this old guy now, is it's so easy to have negative thoughts. All the things you could have done in this life and didn't do. All the things you said that were unskillful and hurt people that you shouldn't have said, but you didn't know any better and you didn't think it was going to turn out that way. Those thoughts are buried deep, deep down inside. And just before you're ready to close your eyes and go into that twilight zone of sleep, they emerge. They're like old ghosts. And they say, no, you're not going to go to sleep right now. I got some stuff I want to talk over with you. How about that person, blah, 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 blah. I'm going, oh, man. And so my reaction, my response to the negative thoughts before I go to sleep May I be happy, peaceful, and free from suffering. May no harm come to me. May no difficulties come to me. May no problems come to me. May I always find fulfillment. May I be happy, peaceful. A little loving kindness for me. You know, I've been working on kindness for everybody else, but now it's my turn. Because I'm tired and want to go to sleep, and I don't want those negative thoughts. So I'm going to be kind to myself. Then there's a wonderful technique as we get older and older and getting ready to die is to have a book. Have a book, a notebook of all the good stuff you did during your life. None of the bad stuff, just the good stuff. And I don't care how bad a person is, they've done some good stuff. And you get your friend or the hospice worker or family member, relative, you get them to to read from the book to you as you're on your deathbed. And you're reflecting now on all the good things you did rather than all the negative things you did because you've been doing that every night for years and years. We need the good stuff now. And they say the last thought of this lifetime is the first thought of the next lifetime. So wouldn't it be wonderful to have a thought of kindness and love and compassion. Wouldn't that be a wonderful last thought to have as you check out? And then, as you're reborn, that would be the first thought. That would be the first thought. What a nice way to start a life. Now, starting a life in a wonderful way is not going to last very long, but at least it's not started in a negative way. And then your job for the rest of your life is just to keep building on that positive, wonderful, kind thought for the rest of your life. And by the time you're ready to check out again, you probably have another notebook filled with all the good things you did. All the people that have benefited from you being alive on this planet. 
all the people that invited you to dinner or conversation or simply being in your presence and you made their day, their week, their month just a smidge better. Wouldn't that be just a wonderful idea and thought to have as you check out? And, and uh, these five reflections allow us to be mature in our lifestyle. They allow us to be a person of wisdom and kindness. They, they allow us to see the world in a rather unique way, a Buddhist way. And it shows us where the priorities lie, what needs to be avoided, and the potential we all have as a human being to come to a place of acceptance with the way things are. And if we can come to that place of acceptance with the way things are, our suffering will be greatly reduced. And we will be able to live in a world and participate in a way that benefits the world rather than hurts the world.